Most business owners are trying to do content marketing and failing miserably, or they're just not doing it at all. That means all your strategies for getting clients rely on you showing up every day, feeding the social media machine, manually following up with leads, asking for referrals. It's haphazard, and it means you can never really tell where your next client is coming from. That's why I created the Pot of Gold Content Marketing Database. Once I got strategic with my content and put it all in one place so that I could see it, organize it, and put my hands on anything I needed within seconds, it completely changed the game and allowed me to scale my business from just me to a team of six people in just seven months. The Pot of Gold is a simple system, but some people have had trouble getting started because they weren't sure how to go from content to clients. I put together the Content to Clients workshop, and over the course of three days, I personally guided a select group through setting up the Pot of Gold, brainstorming ideas, organizing existing content, and then getting crystal clear on exactly what content to create to turn their followers into buyers. Each day was filled with breakthrough moments as participants found the missing links in their content marketing. In this workshop, I cover the four things you need to know and the six things you need to do to get your content marketing working. Content to Clients includes access to the Pot of Gold Content Database 2.0 when you sign up with a brand new walkthrough. And you get step-by-step lessons on brainstorming your ideas, adding existing content, and how to prioritize what to create first. If you're ready to get your content sorted and working for you 24-7, Go to carveldigital.com slash clients to grab the workshop recordings and get notified of our next live workshop. Welcome to Begin As You Mean To Go On. If you're a woman of color with a mission-driven service-based business and you want to increase your income and your impact without burning out in the process, you are in the right place. I'm your host, Karanda Adair, recovering WordPress developer, content marketing coach, and CEO of Carvel Digital. I've survived being a black woman in the tech industry getting fired for culture fit and gone on to build a thriving business. I want to show you how to work hard once to create systems in your business that continue to work for you as you grow so that you can not just survive, but thrive and live your best life. Let's get it going. Hey y'all, welcome back to begin as you mean to go on. So happy to have you back. And today you're in for a treat because I am talking with Trudy Lebrun. Trudy is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and trainer. And tell you what, y'all, she's not new at this, okay? She has been around a while and she really knows this stuff inside and out. What she does now is she helps business owners with businesses of all sizes to really build equity and inclusion into the framework of your business. This is not something that you just, you know, you go to a training or you go to a workshop and then you're done. If you really want to do this right, then it has to be a practice and you have to make a long-term commitment. And Trudy helps guide business owners in that commitment to really look at their businesses and see how they can weave more equity into their practices on a day-to-day basis and create better business cultures. I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. If this is something that you feel passionate about that has been kind of on your to-do list, but you're a little bit overwhelmed about, you know, where do I start? How do I get going with this? Then this is going to be a great conversation for you because we cover that. And we also talk about personality tests and why they're problematic and suggest an alternative that you can use that's kind of fun and playful. 
So enjoy the episode. And if this happens to be your first time listening to the podcast, do me a favor and listen to the entire episode. And if you find value in it, then go ahead and open up your app and leave that five-star rating and review. That's going to help someone else who is struggling with issues of growing their their service business. Um, It's just going to validate for them that, yes, this is worth my time and attention, and I'm going to get value in things that can help my business. So I'll make that ask at the end of the podcast. But for now, just sit back and enjoy the episode. Hey, Trudy, welcome to the podcast. What's up? Thank you for having me. So this is going to be so much fun. But before we dig into it, let's start with you. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Share your intersectional identities with the people. Tell us about you. Yes. So my name is Trudy Lebrun. I am a straight, cisgender woman of color. I'm biracial. My mother is white. My father is Afro-Latino. And I, what else? And what kind of work do you do? Yeah, I am a coach. I am a business and leadership coach for entrepreneurs and leaders who want to do business in ways that are just and prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really want to kind of live and work in a way that is equity-centered. I love that. And the reason I wanted to have you on is because... A lot has happened in the last year and a lot of white people discovered racism last year. And there's a lot of like, Oh, racism. Okay. Let me go. Let me go take care of that. Right? Like that's, that's the vibe that I get from a lot of folks who are new on this chain. And so what I love about your work is that I think it's very similar to mine and it's, it's a lot about foundations, right? Not just being like, let me go take a workshop, but like, let me weave this into the way that I do business. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I spent a long time in the education and nonprofit world doing, you know, doing a a variety of things, but really a, a through line of all of my work has been around equity and justice. And when you're working in big systems, like school systems, it's really hard to make change. And, um, I spent a lot of time going, you know, being that that trainer in the front of the room, you know, that you when HR sends you to like diversity training, like I was that person that went in and, you know, did the the song and dance of like, here's diversity, here's what it means, here's why, this is systemic racism, blah, blah, blah. And like great, important work, you know, and like, it's important because it's exposing people. A lot of like a lot of times people didn't know these words and know these concepts, but it's not effective. It's like top of funnel, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. So anyone who knows who's ever been to to have to sit in that training, like it's it's a little frustrating because you kind of learn some stuff and you're like, okay, great. Now what? Like you're gonna leave, the trainer's gonna leave, and like we're gonna, you know, go about our business. And so when I finally, you know, went out and was able to build my own company and do the work the way that I knew that it needed to get done. I promised that I wasn't going to do that anymore. You know, that I was going to create ways for people to work with me really deeply and, and really prioritize impact and transformation. So what we try to do is help people not like, we're not trying to turn people into like social justice warriors. That's not the point. Um, the point is to to turn people into accomplices, right? To turn people who have a, a setting, like a commitment to want to make the world better and figure out ways to apply that in their business 
you know, and we work with entrepreneurs because I think that business is such a great tool for for applying some of these concepts because, you know, you have clients, you have staff, you have customers, you have audience, like there's just so many ways that you can impact people. So I really like working with businesses and, and entrepreneurs to really figure out how to do business better. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Cause I, I listened to a, a recent episode that you did that was like five signs that that you have a, a toxic business culture, right? So what are some of the signs and maybe some like less obvious signs that like, maybe this is work you need to think about doing <laughs> for yourself? Yeah. Well, I'll say that, you know, the work is stuff that everybody should be thinking about doing like, like period, whether you are white, black, brown, Asian, indigenous, like everyone needs to do work to be equity centered. And that's why a lot of time we spend with clients is yes, talking about, How do you diversify your team and how do you create more inclusivity and and those kinds of things? But really, the outcome of that is really about like culture, like how you build a culture. It's not that you just should build a diverse team just because, right? Like we want people to understand. So they can be visible inside your company. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like what it's important for people to understand like what, what, how that contributes to like a bigger picture and like the, the snowball effect of all these like decisions that they make day to day, right? So you can have a diverse team, but have a toxic work environment. And that's not good. Like you can have a company full of people of color and it's a toxic work environment. And so putting our attention, like centering. That seems worse because people, I I think there's this assumption that's like, oh, if you're a person of color, then then, it's automatically okay. And that's, and it might be even harder to see like, "Mm, that doesn't necessarily mean it's okay. And how do you, how do you tell? (laughs) It's it's also an unreasonable expectation because the thing is, is that we're not taught how to be like the kind of leaders that center equity or that, that, that pay attention to culture. You know, for the most part, people go to schools that reinforce like traditional power dynamics. People go to college. Our measure of success are these kinds of like really formal, like work really hard and the boss makes the decisions and the workers just do what the boss says. Like that, that is ingrained at every level of our person, personal development, Mm -hmm. right? In business, we go to the white dude, bro led masterminds to learn, you know, marketing, dude, bro marketing, and it's all about the money. And yeah. Yeah. Or you come up in a corporate system or in the nonprofit world that's just the same. Like they're all the same. And so there's no reason to think that just because someone's identity is different, that they would lead differently. That's not a fair assumption to make. And it's not that it's anybody's fault. It's just that that's what we have. Like that is the environment that we have. So in order to not replicate that and to not be horrible managers, (laughs) we need to do that. We need to be intentional. Because the thing is also like, we can't do this thing where I'm like, we're just like, oh, like, I'm just so cool. And like, anything goes because now you don't have a business. You just kind of like, I have a hangout. Like, you know, (laughs) you have to balance, like, how do I run a business that's like effective, that's, that makes money, that we can all be successful, that I can pay people that's like professional and serious and balances this like collaborative shared power environment. And that is not easy. Like, that's just not easy to do. And so some of the things that go wrong, some of the signs that thing that you might have like a toxic environment include, for example, team. Team is a huge part of this. Your team should reflect to you and they're certainly reflecting to your customers. So people 
leave with no notice, <laughs> you know, like staff members are just like disappearing or, or they leave in groups, you know, like someone leaves and then a couple other people leave. That is usually a sign that there's something in the culture that's going wrong because what happens is, especially if those people work, work together, sometimes like one person is the buffer. And if that buffer leaves and then all of the, you know, drama is being redirected on mm-hmm. other people. Like, it's just like, nah, I'm out. Like, I'm, you know, or, or you don't have that support system. Oh, yes. So that will happen. So that's a sign that something is off, especially if there's no notice. I remember many years ago, noticing that on the radio, I don't know if anybody has ever noticed this, but on the radio, if, if someone, if the, sh- if a show is cut, it's almost like it never existed. There is no mention like if a, if a radio for whatever, I don't know why, but if they change their format or like bring in a new program director or something, like no one ever talks about it. It just like, ha- it's kind of like Fresh Prince, like when they swapped out Aunt Vivs and it was like, nobody mentioned it. We're just, <laughs> just all supposed to act like, you know, it's kind of yeah. like, so if that's happening at a business, that's definitely a sign that something is going wrong. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that, right. I was just watching Batwoman, which is kind of a terrible show, but I watch it anyway. But like, there's a new Batwoman. Like, they just, they just, the lead actor just, like, I don't know what that was about, but like, there's a new Batwoman. I'm like, exactly. Okay. Those are the kinds of things that you want to watch for. Uh, I'll see a couple more things because this is like, this is important. Someone's inability to take responsibility or apologize is also a sign that something is wrong. <laughs> Like if harm has been caused on the team or if with like clients or an audience or something like that, and no one actually takes responsibility and is like, oh, I, I, we apologize. Like we messed up, but it's always like spun into this, like, we're learning, we're growing, we're shifting. Like we'll do, you know, we'll do better. And actually this is a good learning opportunity for all of us. Like if you hear a lot of that, that is a sign that like, something is off. <laughs> like you are dealing with people yeah. who have such an ego that they cannot be like, Oh, I messed up. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Full stop. Yeah. And that reminds me of, you know, I had a, what was supposed to be sort of a, a very high level VIP sort of intensive coaching day experience. And the lead up to it was so chaotic and so not VIP. And there was no acknowledgement of like the inconvenience, the runaround. Some of my team members had gotten childcare and then there were sudden schedule changes. And we finally get to the thing and it's like, thanks for being flexible. <laughs> like, no. I mean, yes, thank you for being ske- flexible. And also like, let me fix, let me try to repair, you know, like our part in this. Like it is, it's important that people are able to take responsibility. I'll give you a perfect example. You know, we have a membership program that rolled out really in in beta. You know what I mean? Like we were just like, let's open it up, get our, get our founding members. And I got an email from someone that was like, hey, this learning format is really hard for me because I have some, you know, I, I have some learning style needs that aren't being met. And, you know, I, I, I know this is a 12 month program, but I'm wondering if you'd be willing to like release me from the agreement. And I was like, not like, first of all, yes, 
I'm sorry. Like, uh, I tell me anything you want to tell me so that we can make it better. And and I offered that person. I was like, would would you? I'm happy to release you, but would you mind if we refund you and let you stay for a while, so that you can see that we are going to try and fix this? Because it is important. The repair part is so important, you know. So the ability to take responsibility and and then repair, I think, is just. It's a must in a business that is centering equity or diversity or anti-racism or anything like that. Yeah. I have a tweet on my personal Twitter that's pinned. I think it's from 2014 or 15. And it says, try to do good. Fuck it up. Apologize. Try not to say make the same mistake again. That's the job. And people still like I'll go on Twitter, you know, once a month or whatever, and someone will have tagged and retweeted this. Like it's a very simple process. It's not like never make a mistake. It's like own up to them and then try to fix it and and try to figure out why it happened so you can prevent it in the future. I mean, that's just that's good humaning. That's good business. That's like it's basic. If you find if you find that you're hesitant to give feedback because of like how you're anticipating like how people are going to respond to you again, a sign that like you're in an environment that isn't designed to serve you because if you have, you should be able to give feedback without like, you know, fear of without fear, just like talking, like we're just talking, you know what I mean? We should be able to talk to each other (laughs) and have really uncomfortable conversations. Like, Feedback can be crazy uncomfortable, right? Like that's 100% true. And in transformational spaces, you have to be able to be uncomfortable to get through like to the other side of that. So yeah, if you find that you're like hesitant to give feedback or like have these like uncomfortable conversations with colleagues or supervisors or people you're purchasing from or with clients then you need to do some work. <laughs> like you, you got some work to do around around culture, like establish a healthy culture where you can do that and retain like healthy relationship. So two things that that makes me think of is I don't feel like that is modeled enough just in general in society. Like what gets modeled is, you know, someone fucks up, everybody piles on them and then they, they're canceled. And we what we don't see often enough is someone fucks up and yes, they get feedback about that. And then they actually take that in and, and try to do better. Like, I I don't feel like we see that enough. And I don't know what to do about it, but <laughs> it's it's sad. I think part of it is like fear. Um, we work with clients in a couple of different ways. But for the clients that we work with on like a private, like at the company level, we really encourage them and, and help them for those that want to take it on to develop a plan for like transparency so that they can share with their audience and their clients, like where, what is happening in their equity centered work, you know, so that they can say, this is who we've hired. We've committed to this process. Here's how it's going. And then they can give kind of updates, you know, along the way so that they can bring people on the journey and normalize like how uncomfortable it is and how messy and how imperfect the process is because you're just constantly learning. So yeah, I think more people should do that. And we can't be I always tell people the work doesn't happen on Instagram. Like, don't worry about what the people on Instagram. <laughs> Wait, it doesn't? Karan, I have to tell you, <laughs> the work doesn't happen. We're not going to beat racism on Instagram, okay? Like, I want y'all to understand this. This is important. <laughs> oh, twice for the people yes. in the back. Yes. 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 It has nothing to do because that's that's all. And I'm not saying that, like, 
the activist accounts and sharing like where you stand on Instagram isn't good. Like I go for it. Like do that. Absolutely. And you cannot be worried about what other people who do not know you think about where you are on your journey because the work is not about them. It's about the people you have immediate impact on. So those are the people who are in your audience, like in your client, you know, your clients, your team members, that's who the most important feedback should come from. Yeah. So of course, my marketing brain is whirling. And the thing that I'm thinking about is leading and lagging indicators, right? So in marketing, leading and lagging indicators is like, if you're tracking the thing that happens like right before you get a sale, that's all well and good. But that sale probably started, you know, six months ago when that person got on your email. And so tracking, you know, leading indicators is things like, how many people have I reached out to today? You know, like how visible have I been? Can you talk about that perspective in terms of your work? Like the things that we focus on are like, oh, so-and-so fucked up or, you know, like things happen and we react, right? What are some of the leading indicators and some of the, some of the work, <laughs> like the day-to-day, you know, things that we can do or start to think about that, that lead to the results that we want, right? That leads to good culture and all those good things. So I think it starts with this concept that we teach called explicit inclusion, what I'll give you an example. I have to answer this question a couple times a month, probably forever, <laughs> but definitely for the last at least 24 months. Um, people want to know, they're like, oh, like I get it, like inclusion, but I work with this population of people. Like, what if I don't want to work with men? Or what if I don't want to work with um, women? How do we be inclusive and also have a niche, basically, is like the question that they're getting at. And so the concept of explicit inclusion is that you are being super clear, explicit about who you are serving and that you are considering who is at the margins, like who are the people with the privileged and the marginalized identities within your target population. Because even within your target population, there are people who have different levels of privilege and you definitely are going to have some people who are at the margins. So you do that by being really clear about who you work with, how you how you impact folks, and what you're va- like what you're gathering people around, what values and commitments you're gathering people around. Also, it's that that attract repel. Like you're doing you're attracting people who not just fit your target audience demographically, but also around your values. And that means that some people are going to be like, "Nah, I ain't messing with you." That's a good thing. What I have found, especially now, I have to say, this has always been the case, as certainly as long as I've been in business, but I, increasingly so over the last 12 months, is that people are making purchasing decisions based on not just like what outcomes and pain points and whatever, but also based on alignment, like values alignment. So mm-hmm. if people don't know yes. where you stand, people are, people are looking for people who, whose values match with theirs. And so if they don't know, they're going to avoid it or they're going to fill in the blank and they might fill in the blank wrong. And if they see that your values are not aligned, then they're not going to purchase from you. And again, that's a good thing. The problems that happen when you, I cannot tell you how much time my team and I have been spending working to solve problems that have basically come from like a, a values mismatch, like a client is in a program Mm-hmm. They have a set of values that is very different than the institution and all kinds of things like on the 
on the easy side, it's like you're losing clients. People want refunds. People don't want to be in the community. But on the extreme side, accusations of all kinds of microaggressions or blatant aggressions or or people in your community spewing conspiracy theories and telling, you know, just all like all kinds of stuff goes down. So be upfront, like lead with your values. Yeah. And like with this, with this concept of explicit inclusion. And I think it's, it's from a marketing perspective, I think it's a much healthier way to be showing up in the world. Yeah. And so just to bring that down to the ground, when you were talking about, okay, yes, you can have your niche, your container, your your group, right. But let's talk about women, right. Women of color, white women, trans women, like disabled women, like that's a, that's still a lot of diversity, right? Within that group. And so, you know, there's a lot of groups that are about women that exclude trans women. So, you know, if you don't know that going in, (laughs) like that's, that can cause harm. Right. And there's, there's this whole like body of work that I'm not very familiar with, but I know it exists. And I know some people who are in it that it's weird for me to even say it. It's pussy based business. Have you, are you familiar with this? I recently became familiar. Some folks in my, we have a Voxer pod of, of our little business besties group. And yeah, so I recently became familiar with this and, and some folks who, you know, just weren't, weren't feeling that particular vibe, like got vilified. Oh yeah. (laughs) In that group. Yes. So, okay. So this is a perfect example, right? Because people have the right to run the business they want to run. But if you are teaching pussy-based business, then you can be explicit about that. And it does, it no longer becomes a question about gender. It becomes a question about anatomy. You know, like if you mm-hmm. have a vagina, you can participate. And that should be all that we need to say. You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with gender, right? It's just, yeah. again, anatomy. So it has really to do with being really clear and explicit about what it is we're actually saying. Right now, there's another component of it that has to do with preparedness, right? Like, is the facilitator or coach prepared to hold space for people who I, who have different, you know, gender identities, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I would go back to this explicit inclusion, be clear about where you stand. If you're a racist, I want to know. If you don't like black and brown folks, I want to know. I have got to a point in my life where I'm done convincing people that whether or not racism is real, I'm not having those conversations anymore. I used to have those conversations no. a long time ago, but that used to be my job because I used to be sent in. It's exhausting. Right. It's exhausting. It doesn't work. So I don't do that anymore. So my thing is like, oh, hey, go be racist, go be transphobic, go be whatever, go over there. <laughs> do it. Go be that over there. That way we don't have to participate. Like we know up front that it's not a safe space. Like I will say there are people, ac- activists and educators out in the world who do that work and they are angels. That is wonderful work to do. Yes, it is. And it's important. Yeah. I mean, every there's people needed like at every point in the exactly. like top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. We need everybody at all the points. Right. So I'm not saying that work isn't worthy. It is. I'm just saying that like I did that work for a long time and it's not my work anymore. Listen, like I am no kind of professional in any sort of DEI, but I had an accidental nonprofit just like you know, talking to people about race, you know, and writing angry blog posts about race. And then I was like, 
wait a minute, I'm not making any money. Let me just retire <laughs> from this thing that is not my job and that I'm not actually an expert in and go go handle my actual business. So, I mean, I'm glad I did it. I'm not sorry because that the blog posts are still there and, you know, I'm like, people can use them or whatever. Like, this is the reason why it's important to help more businesses become equity centered in the way that they, you know, and part of being equity centered means that you are also anti-racist and trauma informed and culturally responsive. We have a whole framework for what this looks like, but it's important for me to do that because we cannot only rely on the advocates and activists and educators to like change the world. We need businesses to be able to do their, their best work right? The way that they, the the work that they were put here to do and to do it in a way that creates equity. You don't have to turn into an educator. All you got to do is do what you do with these principles. And I believe that that is the way that we, I mean, this sounds grand, but like change the world. Like, I think that's how we do it. 100% because how much time does everybody spend at work? Right. And do just do it like doing the things that you do. So if you take that and you say, I'm going to weave equity into my life, right? (laughs) then world changed, which that is, yeah. And that's a perfect segue for where I want to go next, which is I am thinking right now about the folks who are listening to this, who are in the beginnings of their journey, because, you know, begin as you mean to go on, right? And so maybe they're thinking about this. I know there's definitely things that have been on my plate where I'm like, I know I need to do that. I know I need to do that. I know I need to do that. And it's so overwhelming to figure out where to start that I'm just like, it doesn't get done. So Can we talk to those folks for a while? First of all, I'm going to say, like, you should just go hire Trudy. (laughs) If you're listening to this and you care about this and you haven't done anything about it, like, just go hire Trudy. Like, you have lots of offers and programs and whatever. But let's say they're not there yet. What we recommend people to do is really start with kind of like this personal assessment, right? Open up your phone, look at your podcast list, and just see how many podcasts do I listen to that are hosted by... Black and brown folks, indigenous folks, Asian folks, like just not white folks. And this part is especially important. How many of those are not talking about race, right? Like, because if you're listening, if all the people that you you listen to are black and brown folks, if all of those podcasts are like about race, then you're missing the point, you know? So thank you for saying this. Yes. It's one of my biggest frustrations. It's like, wait a minute, all of your black and brown guests happen to be talking about race. This is a problem. Yeah. There's yeah. so much more to it. And I, man, people used to, people used to call, give me, I used to get that call, you know, like within when I was like really in the tech industry. And then I was like, no, it's, it's too exhausting. I'm not doing it anymore. So looking at that same with like books that you read, same with friends you have, communities you live in, just take stock and just be like, okay, like this is kind of what my life looks like. Then start asking yourself why, why is that? This is hard to do on yourself, by the way, I will just say, because it's hard for us to be self-reflective in, the, in these kinds of ways, but it's still worthy exercise. So just start thinking about like, what have I learned? Like what, where are the gaps? Like what, why have I created this life, you know, where that, that isn't as multicultural and, and diverse, like how is it that this has happened? And then start to fill in you know, start to like look for the podcasts, look, look for the accounts, look for the books, look for the documentaries, start learning about just what's happening in the world. Let yourself become angry. And I'll say also like, let yourself feel whatever feelings, because well, a lot of people 
share with us is that they feel betrayed that once they start, especially white women, that once they start to realize the world that they're actually in, it's like seeing, we always say equity lens because it's like you're putting on this new set of glasses that you're never going to be able to, to take off. Like the world, it just looks different. And people really feel betrayed. They're like, oh, I was I was brought up to think these certain things and now I'm learning. And to see things through this interpretation and, and now I see that none of it is true and that there's this whole set of other realities that haven't been shown to me before. And that's usually when people start to look for help, honestly, when they start to notice that they have this gap in their awareness and they're like, okay, I need help sorting this out. And then the next part of that is like, what do I do? You know, it's like, what do I understand? What do I know? And then it's like the, what do I do? And what do you do varies greatly depending on your values and where you are and what community you're in. And, you know, that again, that's why we work with people who have businesses because business gives you a direct day-to-day opportunity to make choices that impact other people. And so that's why Mm -hmm. people come and work with us. But yeah, there's a lot of like unpacking. We also work with like leaders, like people who are in leadership and other companies and stuff to kind of help them. But yeah, that, that is where you start just with this kind of like awakening yeah. And so just selfishly, I would like to add, I, I've seen people sort of on this journey who post and say like, hey, I, I've noticed that my feeds and my input and my, you know, everything else is like really white, like, give me some recommendations, you know, they'll post that on their Facebook or their IG or whatever. And I think that's, that's great. Please don't do the thing where you're like, oh, shit, I need black friends and start like, I have literally had to be like, you know what? It's just me, y'all. Like, I don't have any more time. Like, I can't be your one black friend. You know, (laughs) like, I just want to put that out there because it's happened to me. I know it happens all the time. So don't be that person. And we're going to drop all your links because I know you have a a really good ladder of offers. So like, don't think like, oh, I can't hire Trudy because, you know, of money. Because I I know that not to be true. There's nothing for everyone. All right. I want to talk about NSYNC versus Backstreet Boys. Yes, let's have this conversation. Yes. Can you talk about the posts that you put out and the revelation? (laughs) This past weekend, I was, you know, woke up on a Sunday morning and I was like watching a documentary online and the documentary was about personality tests. And this is something that I have been talking about with people for a long time. I am, I didn't say this. I'm a psychologist, I'm air quotes, y'all can't see me. By education, I have a master's degree in psychology. I have all but written my dissertation in my PhD program for a degree in uh, PhD in social psychology. And so this is something that I have, has crossed my path many times. Like this idea that there are issues with personality tests. Um, and so I watched this documentary, so I'm feeling like a little inspired, but also like sarcastic because that's a little bit of my nature when I'm just kind of hanging out. And so I post online, the only personality I t- test that I need before making a hiring decision is NSYNC or Backstreet Boys. That is obviously a joke. I mean, there is a correct answer, but- <laughs> That is a joke. I do not make my hiring decisions. What, are you going to share that with us? I will tell you the correct. I'm so. I never did find it. And then, and then after I wrote that, I put like underneath it using personality tests in hiring is discriminatory and ableist, and we should stop doing it. 
period. That was it. I didn't expect it much to happen. I went out with my family. Next thing I know, I checked my phone in the middle of the day and there's like all of these comments, half of them responding to the Backstreet and Sync part of the conversation and half of them with some people who were pretty upset that I was questioning the validity of their beloved personality test. And it was so funny. And so here's the thing. I'm not against personality tests as like a personal tool to like understand more about yourself and but they are problematic, especially the Myers-Briggs test, which was written by people who were very racist. <laughs> like, I think that it's important for people to know that the, any bias that a person has gets built into these systems, right? Like that is, that's important to understand. So yeah, so people were really upset and, and I, I didn't go back and forth too much because it was Sunday and I was like, again, this is not a conversation I want to be like convincing people about. There's tons of data. <laughs> support this. Like, I don't need to be the person like teaching this. But what I, here's what I did say. The, the bar for something being discriminatory or ableist, right? The only bar we need to know is that it disproportionately negatively impacts them. If we can prove that, which we can, then the, there's something about the design of the instrument that is flawed, that has a bias. That's the only bar we need to meet. It does not... We don't have to like have these philosophical discussions about whether or not it's right or wrong. Like, no, the bar has been met. Like, that is it. Um, <laughs> we shouldn't be doing that, y'all. So here's a couple things that I, I can just say. One is that some of them are timed. Some of the, the responses, some of the factoring of the results is based on how quickly you respond to answers. I have a couple of sons. One of my sons has like a slower processing speed. And in school, like he had to have lo- longer time times to take tests and like different things. So if you have a different or slower processing speed or you need to interpret data differently, you're negatively impacted. Just not because of your answer, but because of... There it is. Who you are. That's it. Right. There are cultural things and they're not designed with cultural context. So sometimes they'll be asking things about how you would respond to certain scenarios and people might respond differently based on the culture that they were raised in. So there's all kinds of things. The other thing that people don't often realize, especially and this, this one was like, I had to scratch my, my head about this. Are you familiar with human design? I have seen that phrase bandied about in in the circles that I run in, but I really don't I really don't understand it. And and every time I hear about it from someone I respect, it's about why it's problematic. And so I was like, I don't need to. <laughs> so here's I think it's fun. I think it's cool. Like I, I dig it again, not as like a decision about who I'm going to hire for a job, but just like as a personal thing, right? But it's I would not call it a personality test. It's based on your birthday. And like the time you were born, where you were born. I don't think that qualifies as a test. Like it's your, it's basically like your horoscope. Like it is not, I don't think it's appropriate to be lumping that into like a a test of any, of any kind. Right. So that's how, so the way you, you know what your human design is, is like you share your birthday time, whatever. For some people that is sacrilegious, like that, that, that belief right? That the belief of your, that you're something about your personality or destiny or whatever is tied to like when you were born or something that is anti any religion, right? Like you shouldn't be applying that framework to people who don't 
believe in that thing. And then for other people, that information is so sacred that sharing it is a violation of what they believe. Like that sharing their birth time is like, is too sensitive of information. So there's so many reasons why like we take for granted that we should just be able to like have all these, like have all this information like that. It it could, for some people, it might be invasive or it's unnecessary. And it leads to so much bias. Someone in the in the thread was like, oh, but I work so well with eights on the Enneagram. It's like, yes, that's because you think you do. It's confirmation bias. <laughs> There's I can send you articles on that too. Like if you if that's what you if that's who you think you work best with, <laughs> that is who you're gonna work best with. That's how psychology works. That's how our brains work. So and all that to say, and sync is the correct answer. <laughs> Why in sync over Backstreet Boys? I have to know. All right. I really resonated with the person who was like, new edition. I'm like, thank you. Yes. <laughs> but, okay. So here's, the other, here's, here's, the, here's the great part about that, right? There were all these people who were like, new edition, Destiny's Child, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not what I asked you. That is not what I asked you. Had this been a real, <laughs> had this been a real test, that was dependent on employment, your inability to answer the question correctly would disqualify you, right? Like it would, that's how <laughs> tests work. That, Cause our system, those, those tools are not built to give space for like individuality and like all these, like, like culture, new edition, that's like nuance, cultural thing. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's a vibe. It's a, it's a um, moment in time, right? It's a decade. So it's yeah. So it's, it's yeah. a problem. It's just all the way a problem. I love it. And when you posted that, I like, I don't come from like a business back. Like I was, I was a project manager and a barista before I started a business. And so when you posted that, I was like, Oh, that's news. Cause here's the thing, you know, we go through and we go through these programs and we go into these, you know, your dude bro masterminds or other yeah. masterminds or whatever. And your you're dude like, bro that's what I call them. It's true. That's what they are. It's true. It's, I mean, it's exactly what you were talking about earlier, where it's like, you're just in the system until you figure out how to get out of the system and meet somebody who is interrogating the system, whose job it is to do that and say like, so I really appreciated that post because I was like, oh, that's. (laughs) There are so many better ways to hire people. Like there are so many other measures that we could be using. And there's so many other things that we can do to build a employment process that leads to really strong candidates. Like we don't need to rely on those. There's so many better. Yeah. And team is such a, it's so fraught. Like I, I have an episode about what I call the awkward teen phase of business, which I am still currently in where you're just, you know, you've graduated from solopreneur quote unquote. And so you're trying to get help. And usually we wait too long to get that help. So we're desperate. I have a really amazing team, but it took a a while, like this is my eighth year in business. It took a while to get there. So, and I'm sure you probably go through like what those hiring processes are in your programs. And, and that, that's just huge and so valuable. And like, I I just want to say on that, like, don't wait so long to get help. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes it's about resources. Yeah. One of my biggest mistakes with that was not getting help sooner. This has been amazing. I want to open it up and just ask, is there anything that we haven't talked about that is like, oh, I don't want to leave the people without sharing this message? I think just that like, it's not impossible. 
You know, I know there's a lot of fear baked into like thinking about equity, diversity and inclusion and anti-racism and all these words and all the, you know, there's so much there. Um, but it's so not impossible. It's not, it's not as like difficult as you might think. And if you just commit to doing business differently and getting the support to be able to do that, like it is, to- it is 100% possible to make good money to do good in the world, to treat people equitably. You can do all of those things. You don't have to choose. Yeah. Okay. So wait, let's talk about money for just a second, because it's such a fraught thing. It's something we talk about, like, is it just the assholes that are out here making all this money? Like, and I know that's something that you talk about a lot and like, and you're making good money. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I just want to highlight that for people like, yes, you can be equitable and you can make good money. And it, it might look like from the people that are out there that maybe it's not possible, but it, it totally is. Last year was an explosive year for a lot of people who, especially people who are in the diversity, equity, and inclusion industry. For us in particular, it was extra, but that's because we have been doing the work for so long. So last year we did over seven figures, but we had been doing multiple six figures for years beforehand. So it's totally possible to run a multiple six-figure business, seven-figure business, to be making big impact, to be following your values, to be showing up for the things that matter. You do not have to choose between or making or making money or making an impact. Like you can do all of the things. What is it that this is then this is what I want to end on? Because this is work that's so it can be so difficult and so uncomfortable. And like what brings you the greatest joy about this work? Well, I get the best joy, honestly, when my clients forward me emails from their clients that say, you know, these community agreements that you rolled out are so amazing. I feel like the community is so much safer and tighter. Or I get, or they send an email or a screenshot of someone saying like, we can tell that the work that you're doing is really making a difference and we appreciate it. Like, so that it's that like ripple effect of the work that we're doing that like brings me so much joy, obviously outside of my personal life, you know, my kids and all my, all my adventures, but like that, that secondary impact of working with clients who then their clients experience the benefit of the work. That is like, that's the goal. That's the purpose of what we do. Awesome. And on that note, tell all the people where they can find you in all the places. Yes. Come and hang out with me on Instagram. That's where I am most of the time. You can follow my DEI teachings, but also all my other kind of adventures on Instagram. And then check us out if you're interested in figuring out if you want to work with us, check us out on the website. It's just trudylebron.com. We have a membership program called The Collective, which is where most people come and kind of start their journey with us. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course, we will drop all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming and just dropping some wisdom for us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I so appreciate you. All right, y'all. Now is the time where if you got value from this episode, go ahead and show your appreciation and drop us that five-star rating and review. Subscribe. And I know you're thinking about somebody who really needs to hear this episode. So go ahead and share it with them. And don't forget to begin as you mean to go on and I'll see you next time. 
If you've been listening to these episodes and thinking, I wish I could get personalized guidance for my business, I have good news. Content Bootcamp is my 12-week business bootcamp where I help you get clarity on the big three pillars of marketing, your audience, your offer, and your messaging. But this is not just another online course. During our time together, we guide you through crafting a strategy that is specific to your business and then taking the actions that are going to bring you the results you want. You have complete access to get help with whatever is keeping you stuck, and my clients will tell you I don't hold back. Emma says, Karanda is a Swiss army knife of brilliance, always whipping out exactly the right tool exactly when I need it. I'm making some big moves in 2021, and she is a huge part of why that's happening. To get started, go to carveldigital.com slash bootcamp and tell us about your business. You'll get an invite to our next masterclass where you can get a taste of what bootcamp is like and get all your questions answered to see if content bootcamp is right for you. See you soon.